Welcome to the 11th episode of Earwig Serials. I'm your host, Tyler McNamara, and for the next 27 episodes of Season 1, I'll be reading from my book, The Mother of Dark Space. I want to apologize. The recording space I was in had very bad soundproofing, so it's a little reverby. If that bothers you, I apologize. And please know that as we go forward with these, my recording skills and editing skills improve, so please bear with me. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Chapter 10 Strange Energy Ray After Ma'at's three hours were up, Ray casually walked across the lab. As she passed Dr. Joseph Allen, she noticed that the astrophysicist was slouched over his workstation, which was a mess with graphs and formulas. One of them compared wavelengths, conductivity, and thickness. He's attempting to build a container that could block a wide swath of the electromagnetic spectrum. She leaned over and whispered, Keep at it, Dr. Allen. I can't imagine what this living crystal would do to science. He turned and frowned at her. I know you're betting everything you have on this Ma'at fellow. Don't waste your energy stroking my ego. Misread that one, she thought. But if we're going to solve Evermore's puzzle and communicate beyond the electromagnetic spectrum, this might be the most useful Dr. Allen will ever feel. Finally, she made her way to Ma'at's workstation and asked, Are you ready? He nodded nervously finished typing some final sentence, and met her gaze. His eyes, she thought. He doesn't just have the presentation jitters. Part of her was ashamed she'd spent the morning worrying about her Queen Anne's lace instead of paying attention to the shape of Ma'at as a puzzle piece. It was all too recently that he'd shared this idea with the scientific community and been metaphorically chased out of the village with torches and pitchforks. She felt bad for not realizing what she was putting him through, but not bad enough to let him off the hook. Out of all of these doctors, she whispered to him, your hypothesis is the closest we've got to solving this. There's no need to be, don't see afraid. He wants to think it's hidden. Nervous. Dr. Ma'at tried to play it off, but when she held him in her gaze, he nodded, let out a sigh, and pushed himself up from his desk. The team gathered at the large table in the center of the room without Ray having to say a word. She nodded, and Ma'at began. A gray electron microscope image covered the surface of the conference table. It looked like an aerial photograph of some ancient stone temple built from impossibly small bricks. Among the angled bricks, a soft-looking mortar seemed to hold it all together. What we're looking at is a bacteria with a very clever name, S3060. The room chuckled, and Ma'at relaxed and continued, which was originally discovered growing within the crystalline structure of a Rochelle salt in a hydrothermal vent community in the Cayman Trough in the Pacific Ocean. Notice how they are attached to these bricks of potassium-sodium tartrate crystals? Is it mining the salt for nutrients? asked the chemist Caspar Mora. Ma'at shook his head. That's what I thought it was at first. But after a few days of observation, I found more salt, not less. It's actually constructing the salt around itself. What you're looking at is not a bacteria inhabiting its environment. This is not the original S3060. This one was built from scratch, kept alive in a solution, and from its naked structure, this is what it has produced. Andrew Zephyr raised his hand like a schoolboy and asked, That's why you call it a living crystal? No, I'm calling it a living crystal because it's vibrating at a frequency many factors faster than the human brain. The bacteria cannot be the source, and the crystal alone would require an electric charge to vibrate on its own. Joseph Allen raised a finger in question, and when Ma'at looked at him, he said, It seems to me that you've just disproved your own theory if neither the crystal nor the bacteria are the source. 
My gut tells me otherwise, and my funding disappeared before I was able to truly discover the source. Dr. Allen persisted. So you're not even clear if this crystal is detecting or producing the vibrations? Ray was getting annoyed with a number of interruptions. Let's let Dr. Ma'at finish his presentation. Thank you, Dr. Dahlia, but Dr. Allen is correct. The only reason I was able to notice the vibrations at all is because of the piezoelectric nature of the Rochelle salt. Zephyr raised his hand again. Will you remind me what that means? Ashley spoke up, surprising everyone present. It means that when the crystal is mechanically compressed, it generates a small electric charge, and conversely, when an electric charge is applied, it deforms. Zephyr's hand stayed down, but he raised his voice instead. That's the second time you've spoken to me disrespectfully. I will not tolerate a third. Ray watched the threat crash upon the rocks of Ashley's resentment. She tried to impose herself between the two, but it didn't stop Ashley from saying, I've done some reverse engineering myself, when I was ten. The big red button on the barbecue grill taught me all about piezoelectricity. But maybe the alien technology you countered didn't use electronics? Excuse me, gentlemen, Ma'at spoke up. Let's keep things professional. Zephyr ran a hand up his forehead, lifting his long bangs and revealing a round burn scar on both temples. See these? They're electroshock burns, a result of someone wanting to help me forget. Doing this work, being here on Mars, it helps me remember. I know I sound like a nut, but I'm willing to take that risk until I can prove what I was forced to forget. Ray raised her voice and cut off Ashley's retort. Mr. Zephyr, Ashley is my employee. If you have an issue with him, please take it up with me. I will not have these who-knows-more-than-whom arguments in my lab. That goes for everybody. We are all from very different scientific backgrounds and disciplines, and this must become a safe, open, and creative space if we're going to even approach solving Evermore's assignment. Dr. Luther Brando put a hand on Zephyr's shoulder. I didn't know what piezoelectricity was either. Let it go. Let's get back to work. Ray thought it apropos that one pseudoscientist would comfort another but Brando wouldn't be out on the street if Lab 7 was crushed under its own weight. He had been poached from the Martian Governing Council, where he used his own branch of science called Archaemimiology to help design new laws. The way he described it was, an anthropologist who focused on the cultural trends that arrive after technological advances. Andros Zephyr looked to Ray one more time before correctly reading the fire in her eyes as absolute inflexibility. As he backed down, Ray saw his eyes glaze over. This has happened to him before, she thought. This isn't the first time he's tried to stand up for himself and been crushed under the heels of disbelievers. Hesitantly, Ma'at continued, If you look at the cubist structures of the salt, they continue all the way down to the molecular level. In the instances where I let the S3060 starve to death, I found that it stopped vibrating. Additionally, I was able to confirm the Rochelle salt piezoelectricity. If you're interested, I would like to grow more S3060 crystals in our lab and continue testing for the origin of the vibration. Dr. Benjamin Washington asked, Do you have either a sample with you or a genome printer file? I have both, Ma'at said, but S3060 is quite fragile outside of its natural environment. I would suggest we also try to build something new that exhibits the same characteristics. Namely, a bacteria that builds itself into a living crystal with its excess materials. If it also produces the mysterious vibrations, I believe that is more proof than simply recreating the same S3060. And what if it doesn't vibrate? The question was asked by the chemist Dr. Caspar Mora. His hair and face were generally unkempt, and his blue, button-down shirt was wrinkled and looked as if it had spent the night in the dryer. 
He answered his own question before anyone else had the chance to. We won't know whether we simply weren't able to produce the right kind of crystal or whether Ma'at made a mistake. No offense, doctor, we all make mistakes, and that's why the scientific method exists, to save our time in the long run, by being thorough in the short. So I think, for the sake of all of our time, let's reproduce Dr. Ma'at's experiment to the best of our abilities. On any other day, Ray might have had an internal freakout, but today she was in total control. He's right, of course, but he said it as if he was making the decision for the entire lab. If I agree with him, I reinforce that behavior. Dr. Mora was in the midst of collecting nods of agreement like alms when Ray interrupted his moment by saying, Gentlemen, I'm guessing that you aren't here because you're attracted to the mundane. I'm guessing you aren't here because you love the systematic research involved in destroying your own hypothesis. We have taken the path of the scientific method before. Many have taken that path before. And many have found that the journey from our physical universe to a unified theory, to the discovery of the graviton, to faster-than-light travel, is all dead ends. Does it make sense to continue walking the worn cart path we all know is a dead end? I, for one, am hoping that Evermore gets what he sets out to achieve. He is reaching high, higher perhaps than anyone else ever has. He's created a different kind of facility. This is not the Cater and Jensen model of taking tiny, bite-sized portions of the unknown and studying how it fits into our universe. Evermore Industries is a research and development facility. Of what use is a scientific discovery that has no application? Evermore will be watching us closely these first few weeks, and we need to show him that we can reach high. So, Ray fixed her gaze on Casper Mora. I'm not looking for suggestions on what we should do. I want ideas of what kind of organism we are going to build that might produce a crystal around itself. There was a long silence. The energy in the room crackled with potential, but Ray had to wait to see which way it would be directed. Finally, Dr. Ma'at said, What if we continued using the S3060 but developed a bacteriophage that increased its performance and reliability. Good. Other ideas? Ray barked and gestured at the conference table. She touched the tips of her index and thumb together and dragged them across her opposite palm three times. A camera somewhere in the conference table saw her. An empty checklist appeared along with a message box. List type memo selected. Each entry will appear on a new line. Select a title. Ray touched the corner of her mouth and said, Organisms brainstorm. The word appeared half a meter long in the center of the table. She gestured to Ma'at, who touched the corner of his mouth, and said, Bacteriophage. The word formed beneath the title in teal blue based on Ma'at's voice signature. Blue-green algae, said Dr. Brando, adding the suggestion to the list in a deep yellow font. Ashley walked over from his workstation, touched the corner of his mouth, and said, Fungi. Ray scowled at him. What? Fungi can break down minerals. Anyone else? she asked. The room was silent. What about an amino acid that converts certain molecules into Rochelle salt? Suggested Zephyr, forgetting or not knowing how to gesture. Nope, Ray said. Zephyr shook his head. I'm confused. I thought you were looking for ideas. During my interview, you said you valued the fact that I'm creative. Creative, yes. Creative is great. The issue is with abstract ideas that use up the group's time. What's wrong with my suggestion? Zephyr whined. Zephyr. Everyone, actually, listen up. I acknowledge that we're still in our first week together, and maybe we've been going a little fast. Maybe we should clear away all these workstations, get out our meditation pillows, set up a sharing circle, and really get to know each other. Or, maybe we could skip all that bullshit and get to work. Make friends on your own time. Here, I expect a group of seven professionals to bring their best selves every hour of every day until each of us have unequivocally witnessed what each other is capable of. 
and we all know how to rely on each other like the parts of an engine. I don't want to hear what you think you're capable of. I want to experience it empirically. And where's our evidence? Zephyr snapped back. You expect us to trust you until we can rely on each other? But I want to unequivocally witness why we should trust someone whose lips are barely wet with the taste of her first internship. What gives you the right to treat us this way when everyone here has more experience than you? Ray stood there as her worst fears were thrown back in her face. But because they came from this eccentric character instead of someone like Ma'at, or Alan, left her unfazed. Zephyr, you really are perfect for the role I hired you for, she thought. After he had finished his diatribe, Ray lazily took out her Omni and typed something while she said, Dr. Washington, will you please explain to Mr. Zephyr what was wrong with his amino acid suggestion? Clearly uncomfortable with the position she'd put him in, Washington ran a hand over the bald patch at the top of his scalp and scratched at the short gray hairs growing at the back. Well, one of the stipulations Dr. Ma'at specified was that the crystal needs to be made by a living organism. Otherwise, they won't be interwoven at the molecular level. An amino acid isn't technically alive, but I think we all need to take things down a notch. This is our first week here, and there's bound to be a few hiccups. Zephyr shook his head. That's not true. Amino acids are alive, down at the molecular level, moving with their own organomic energy. That's not an energy type I'm familiar with, Ray said, hoping no one would notice that she was fanning the flames. That's because it was suppressed. William Reich discovered it, and his peers in the scientific field discredited it, and went so far as to attempt to drive him from the country. Reich even went to Einstein for help, but he ended up using his influence to publish a paper directly contradicting Reich. The story was all too familiar. Ray could see the team stealing glances at Ma'at, looking for a reaction, but no one wanted to say anything to support either side. Before the silence became uncomfortable, the elevator doors parted, and two huge security guards stepped out, assessed the room, and crossed it to stand behind Ray. Zephyr eyed them nervously. For Christ's sake, aren't we all here to prove Einstein wrong? Rachel, I'm only doing what you hired me to do. Ray visibly winced as Zephyr used her first name. It's not a matter of you doing your job or not. It's how you've conducted yourself. I do value the ability to suspend preconceived beliefs about our universe. But you're not just challenging preconceptions. You're challenging me, and through me, evermore. You asked what gave me the right. It's not a right. It's my job. And you empowered me to do it the moment you signed the employment contract. Don't you see what's happening? Ma'at, you are in the same position as Reich. I'm nothing like Reich. Ma'at slammed his open palm on the table. Reich was a bad psychologist, playing with a science he had no formal training in. What Reich tried to do was bend his observation of Brownian motion to prove his crackpot theories. Mr. Zephyr, please collect your belongings and remove yourself from the building. She turned to the rest of the team. I apologize, everyone. I was the one who hired Zephyr. The one thing he got right is how new I am. I should have seen how unstable he is. Are you nuts? He said eyeing the guards with increasing panic as they stepped between him and Ray. The team looked startled, but said nothing as they watched Zephyr scoop up his giant laptop and be hurried into the elevator by the guards. When the doors closed, Ray erased everything from the list on the conference table. Using the draw feature, she said, I'm taking all of your suggestions and combining them. With her finger, she drew a three-layered something that could have been a cross-section of skin or layers of the earth or lichen, she said. It's like a sandwich of fungus, sometimes algae, sometimes bacteria, and it grows in the harshest environments. We can start with your bacteria and build it into a symbiotic partnership with an appropriate fungus. 
Ultimately, we'll need a resilient substance, and lichen has a secret ability. It's cryptobiotic. When severely desiccated, lichen enters a metabolic state rather than dying. What do you think, Ma'at? It was obvious he hadn't really heard her. He looked at the table and repeated one word. Lichen, he nodded. It fits. Ashley. Later that evening, Ashley sucked a weak interaction through a thin red straw. Every time someone walked through the door who even remotely looked like Ray, his heart jumped. But mostly, he just sat and wondered what was on the Samuel Resnick MP3 on Evermore's computer. After two-thirds of the Relativity Lounge had been ripped away and crushed in the black hole, the Freedom Jazz Trio took a break, and someone familiar walked through the door. Ashley had the sense it was someone who worked at EI, but before he could figure it out, he was caught staring. The young man waved, and when Ashley returned the gesture, he stopped waiting for a table and walked over. He pushed his round glasses back up his nose with a ring finger, and with the same hand, reached out to shake Ashley's. Ashley, how are you? You're not with anyone, are you? asked the nameless assistant. No, no, please. Ashley gestured to the seat opposite him. Great. He brushed Ashley's Omni off the payment square and replaced it with his own. He quickly ordered a strange spin and hit Ashley's refill button. Ashley cocked his head as if he had a kink in his neck and read the man's name off the payment screen. Oh, thanks, Leon. You didn't have to do that. You here for the jazz? Not really. I'm avoiding my apartment. Why? What's wrong with it? Leon looked worried, like he'd accidentally signed up for something he didn't want. It's empty. He relaxed and smiled. Yeah, mine's got the same problem. Ashley said, So you work for Voss, huh? What's he like? The question was thrown back at him. You work for Dr. Dahlia, right? I thought I saw you two in here last week. Ashley hoped the neon blue glow from the table was concealing his rouge of embarrassment. Yeah, that was just a work meeting. Leon seemed to buy it. Oh. Yeah, she seems cool like that, but also really... I don't want to say uptight. High-strung? Ashley smiled. Voss is more relaxed. So much so that he drives the natural scientists crazy. Especially when he forgets to call them doctor so-and-so. Or when I accidentally call Voss doctor. He's not a doctor? He's not, but he could be. He's been studying the paranormal for over 20 years. Can I ask what you've been working on? No offense, but I can't imagine what the paranormal has to do with faster than light. Or with fucking anything Evermore would be interested in, he thought. Sorry, I can't tell you what we're working on. But our assignment is to discover a cross-biological information exchange beyond electromagnets. A waiter arrived with a tray burdened with cocktails. In one motion, he set down their drinks and picked up Ashley's empty glass before hustling off to the next table. Thanks, Leon said to the waiter. Trying to hide his look of shock, Ashley said, Thanks again, raised his glass and took a big swallow, which was more whiskey than water. The fumes made him choke, and he nearly spit it all over Leon in the process. You all right? Leon asked. Yeah, <clears throat> Ashley wheezed. Went down the wrong side. So you're big in the freedom jazz, huh? I wouldn't say big. I enjoy it, but I know enough about it to know that the people who really like it don't actually listen to it. Ashley chuckled. I'm serious, Leon said. At first, I thought it was some hipster bullshit, going to live performances just to ignore the performers. But F-Jazz is ambience music, like a soundtrack. A good soundtrack should affect the scene without being noticed. So true freedomists come to be affected, not to be entertained. Ashley took another gulp. He wasn't listening. If Voss is working on the same project, that means Evermore is setting up an elimination challenge. I wonder when he was planning on telling the research heads. He kept it from me, so probably never. The trio stepped back on stage, and the conversations in the room fell silent. 
Episode 11 of Earwig Serials was brought to you by readers like you. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider following me on Twitter at Tyler R. McNamara, M-C-N-A-M-A-R-A, and using the hashtag M-O-D-S-Book. You can learn more about the book project at earwigpublishing.com or on Facebook at Earwig Publishing. Earwig Serials is supported by you listeners. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider becoming a monthly supporter and gain access to bonus content at patreon.com slash motherofdarkspace. Or if you'd like to make a single offering, visit paypal.me slash earwigpublishing. Finally, I'd like to thank the artist's silent partner for the use of their song, Frequency. Thank you all for listening. Talk to you next week. Bye.